Wherever cancer is, Hancock Health will fight. In any part of you and in all corners of East Central Indiana. From Indianapolis to Greenfield to Knightstown to Greensburg. From hospital rooms to family rooms, we fight. With technology and medicine. With care backed by the wisdom of Mayo Clinic. For you, for your family, and for your future in Decatur County. We fight cancer here. HancockHealth.org slash cancer. Good morning. It is Thursday, June 29th. It is five minutes after 11. You're listening to Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. Rob Kendall is out today enjoying time with his new growing family as Olivia Thatcher Kendall was born last night. In his place, we've got Jim Roberts who's joining us. The dude is in the studio. And we begin with some news that just came out this morning and that is about what the Supreme Court has decided. They set new limits on affirmative action programs in cases involving whether public and private colleges and universities can continue to use race as one of the factors for admissions. Now, the court, they held, it, it. the opinion came down six to three, and Chief Justice John Roberts, he actually went with the conservatives. Yeah, on this he's one. really been the swing vote the last several years on this sort of thing, so it's interesting that he sided with the conservatives on this one. So students for fair admissions, which is a conservative group, they sued Harvard University and the University of North Carolina over their race uh, admissions program. And they alleged that uh, intentional discrimination was being held towards applicants. And the Supreme Court has ruled in favor of the group in the decision. And this is going to have major ramifications for college admissions processes across the entire country now. Yeah, so it's important to know this is a fairly, fairly, fairly narrow ruling that just applies to college admissions. So any other affirmative action programs that exist in other institutions are not really affected by this decision at all. Okay, so universities now, they're going to have to look at the student, not the race. Look at their their grades and what they do out in the community, and use that as the determining factor. And all you know, all the data and all the polls up until this point have shown that the the vast majority of the population agrees that they that ending race based admissions should be something that should be done. Even the majority of Democrats mm-hmm. agree that race based admissions to colleges is something that should be done away with, which is what happened in the Supreme Court ruling today. So you're going to see a lot of liberals losing their mind on Twitter and in the media over the next couple of days about this but it is a it's going to be a it by the data showing it it's going to be a very popular opinion amongst the populace in whole yeah it is seven minutes after 11 you're listening to kendall and casey on 93 wibc that's jim roberts filling in for rob today so uh president biden he uh, he has uh termed a new phrase actually he has he has adopted it the the phrase was created by the wall street journal and he decided yeah i i guess it's, it's pretty good and the phrase is biden economic Binomics. I want to say by economics, but that's not it. It's binomics. It's when you mush a couple of words together, right? Uh, he's embracing it. He went to where was he? He was in Chicago, and he was trying to give this major economic speech. Uh, his top advisor saying this is a strategic tr- strategic decision to own the economy. 
Here's a guy who's saying he's going to own the economy. Why in the hell would you want to own today's economy? Yeah, who in the Biden administration thought this was a good idea? There, mm-hmm. There's really no information out there that the public views the current economy positively. In fact, just the opposite. Real Clear Politics just released a poll right before this came out saying that 61% of Americans feel the economy is headed in the wrong direction. And that includes 55% of Democrats that don't agree with Biden's economic policy. So mm-hmm. you can't say that this is, you know, something that was, you know, he was doing to galvanize his base and bring his base together because Democrats don't think the economy is in the right shape. This, this almost seems like this came up with somebody who wants a Biden to lose. Did RFK Jr. bring this idea to them? <laughs> said, hey, you know what you should do? You should call it Bidenomics. That's a real good idea. Well, you know, what's interesting about that is just uh, last night, RFK Jr. came out and he said that he would not commit to supporting President Biden. Biden if he beat him in the primary. And we've got a couple more of those we're going to share with you as well. But um, this is happening more and more. People saying, I'm not going to support him if he's going to be the nominee. If he's going to be the incumbent, I'm not on board with this. Well, he's also polling at 20%. Not bad for somebody who's challenging a sitting president. Mm-hmm. Very rare to have a serious challenge, and RFK Jr. is at least putting forth some decent numbers so far. Okay, so uh, Ron DeSantis weighs in, and he has an understanding of what Bidenomics are. However, they're much different than what Joe Biden thinks they are. Well, I can tell you what Bidenomics is, Martha. It is everybody pays more for basic staples of life. People are paying way more for groceries. Uh, They're paying way more for other necessities like utilities. Uh, The cost of buying a new home has gone up dramatically because all the materials have gone up. And so in Florida, we're responsible for a lot of these jobs because we've defied his policies. We had our state open. Uh, We have low taxes. We have a very strong regulatory uh, climate favorable for businesses. And so you've seen us grow. You've seen other red states grow. Most of those jobs he's talking about are jobs jobs that came back after the COVID lockdowns. They weren't necessarily over and above what a normal economy would do. And he is wrong on energy. His vision to not have domestic energy production is going to lead to the average family paying more for energy. It is going to make them poor. And if you think about, he's talking about global warming, all this stuff. China builds a new coal-powered, uh, a coal-fired plant like every week. What is the administration doing? And their allies and state and local governments, they're trying to stop coal-fired pizza shops from being able to operate in New York City. So I think they have all this backwards, and I think at the end of the day, the average working person knows it's harder to make ends meet under Joe Biden as president. Everybody knows that. He just handed, Biden just handed his opponents a gift because now any time between now and the election, there's any sort of negative economic information. You say, it's Bidenomics. Bidenomics. Inflation's up. That's Bidenomics. Unemployment yeah. ticks up. Bidenomics. Yeah. Housing and cost of living out of control. That's your Bidenomics right there. Yeah. Rent goes up. Bidenomics. And uh, Ron DeSantis mentioned something about energy and utilities. And I, I recently got an email and I have to check into it more, but I, I think AES may be raising their rates. They are. Again. Yes. Oh. 
yeah, yeah, they are. You yeah. know that you saw it too. Yep. Okay. Well, we're going to have to take a deep dive into that. It's Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. That is Jim Roberts filling in for Rob Kendall today. Now, I had mentioned just moments ago that uh, RFK Jr. says that he won't commit to supporting President Biden if he is the incumbent. And that's not only happening on the Democrat side, it's also happening on the Republican side. Chris Christie has, you know, he his favorite guy to pick on is Donald Trump. He says that uh, uh, Trump is backwards looking, uh, not an appearance, but just how he's reliving the past, past elections. He's not looking forward. He also says that his drama, Trump's drama, has led to Republicans losing. Uh, he's not completely wrong. Uh, Republicans aren't winning the way we should be, the way we had thought it was going to happen, especially, I mean, you heard red wave, red tsunami, which really never came to fruition. But Chris Christie, now he's saying he's not going to support Trump if he wins the nominee. And Donald Trump needs to work for this if nomination. If he becomes so the nominee, do y'all become friends again? Does he offer you a cabinet post again? Do y'all clean this up if he becomes the nominee? I don't think so. I think you know, some, of the, some of the stuff he's called me um, over the last few months, um, I don't think that's going to happen. And, and I, that's sad. But it is the truth of the matter, and it's his doing. But you're not closing the door to voting for him. I'm, no, I'm saying I can't support him. I you can't. can't su- you won't vote for I him. I can't support either one of them. Okay. Not Biden or Trump because they're not competent and qualified to be president for different reasons. Joe Biden predominantly because of his age and what we've seen on TV. Okay, he says Joe Biden because of his age. They're not that far off in age. You know, there's a there's a lot more than Joe Biden's age, mm-hmm. uh, you know, to have out there for to not vote for him. And there's a lot more for Donald Trump's age beyond Donald Trump's age to not vote for him. It seems so, like that's the one of the pretty far down on the list of reasons why I'm not going to vote for one of these guys. Yeah, but he says flat out he's not going to support him. Uh, he described Donald Trump as the cheapest person I've ever met in my life. And this coming uh, amid allegations that Donald Trump is using campaign donations to cover legal fees. Uh, That's what he said on CNN the other night. But uh, Tucker Carlson, you know, he's got his prediction about who would replace Joe Biden as de facto 2024 Democrat presidential nominee. And no, it is not Kamala Harris. Mm. And no, it is not RFK Jr. And no, it's not Pete Buttigieg even. Michelle Obama. No. Let's find out who he thinks it is. In real life, nobody likes Kamala Harris. That's not an attack on her. In fact, it's possible to feel pity for someone who's so universally reviled. It is instead an observation of unchanging physical reality like gravity or photosynthesis. Nobody wants Kamala Harris to be president. No one will benefit if she becomes president. So logic suggests there's going to be a change. It's going to have to be somebody else. And whoever that person is, is going to have to enter the race soon, before the election, after Biden drops out. Who could that person be? We don't know. Obviously, this is all just guessing. But we do know whoever that is will have to have two essential criteria. He'll have to be as shallow, ruthless, and transactional as Joe Biden is. (laughs) And he'll need to have flattery skills that are so polished and advanced, they'd be considered superior even in the Saudi royal court. And there's only one man in modern America who fits that description. Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, and perhaps not coincidentally, Joe Biden's new closest friend. Hmm. There you go. That's his prediction. Well, you know, 
almost anybody at this point is going to be a better candidate than Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. <laughs> so I, you know, I'm not going to sit here and, and tout the benefits of Gavin Newsom, but he's right. Gavin is a very polished politician, mm-hmm. something that Joe Biden is not right now. And he certainly has the support of the Democrat base, mm-hmm. something that Joe Biden does not have right yeah, now. Yeah, but then you have to look towards California and say, yeah, you may look the part, but again, it's the execution. Wouldn't that be a fun need- race to see DeSantis versus Newsom in 2024? Because you've got these two right. coastal states, yeah. California, which is in decline, and, and Florida, which is on the rise, and the debate that could happen about the ideas and how each state has been led to that point that they're in right now. That would be certainly entertaining to watch. Well, and I think that's why those two are throwing barbs at each other, because they think that the Trump-Biden thing's just not going to happen, and eventually it will be DeSantis and Biden. We'll see. 16, it's actually 17 minutes after 11, you're listening to Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. And uh, it, it was just announced that Janet Yellen, Treasury Secretary, she is going to travel to China to, quote, reestablish contact. Okay, so there's been a lot going on, obviously, with that uh, mutiny that happened over the weekend in Russia, China reassuring that they're backing Russia, China voicing their support for Russia, and a lot of geopolitical developments going on. And I thought it would be interesting to get someone's take on things who's just uh, a little bit more informed on what's going on in China than me. So we have found somebody and uh, I will preface this by saying there is a small language barrier. You have to really open your ears. But um, this guy, he, he's got some interesting interesting things to say. His name is Nansu. And uh, while we did have a longer conversation, we, uh, we, we cut out just uh, the good parts, the easier parts to understand. And that is coming up next from 93 WIBC. WIBC, it is the Kendall and Casey show, and Jim is in for Rob Kendall today, who is out on paternity leave. But let's talk about what's going on with China and Russia. You know, following that attempted mutiny over the weekend, China has reassured that they are continuing to back Russia, and they voice their support for the country. And I want to take a dive into the latest geopolitical developments in that possible civil war and the relationship that Russia has with China. And for that, we have to go to an expert because that is not either one of us. Clearly. And on the line with us, we have Nan Su, who is a senior investigative reporter. He's got an eye with a focus on Chinese politics and government deception. Nan is highly knowledgeable in a lot of subjects, including everything that is happening overseas. Nan, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Hi, Casey. Thank you for having me today. I'd like for you to start off by talking about the relationship between Putin and Xi Jinping of China. Xi Jinping, he is, you know, uh, Putin visited China like February the 4th, 2022, exactly 20 days prior to Russia's invasion to Ukraine. Now, and then Xi Jinping and Putin uh, made a public announcement, China, Russia, 
it's going to moving forward with the collaboration without limit, that kind of collaboration without limit, that kind of uh, hmm. relationship. That's that's how China has been doing with Russia in the entire last year of invasion, uh, last six months. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year, uh, the uh, while Putin is under severe economic sanction by the Western world, China-Russia's bilateral trade increased more than 30% from $140 billion to $190 billion. And it's expected this year, you know, increase of another 30% again. So in China purchased mostly oil and gas from Putin. And and that's how Putin paid for this, his war. And also China gave Putin like a drones, semiconductors. And China sell, uh, China gave a lot of uh, uh, parts, you know, besides giving the drones to Putin, China also gave a lot of parts to Iran, and Iran assembled those parts together, make drones, and then uh, ship those things to Russia. You know, you can see the kind of like China, Russia, Iran, you know, the new continental power that's really anti-U.S., continental power that's quickly rising, you know, on the Eurasian continents and other countries quickly joining. And like Belarus, North Korea, Pakistan, Afghanistan. So you really see, you know, those countries that are coming together. Now, China is is taking the lead. Yeah, Nan Nan Su joins us. So it sounds like to me that you're saying that the uh, sanctions that have been placed on Russia are only strengthening the bond between Russia and China and these other surrounding countries. Yes, uh, it definitely make uh, Russia a lot more uh, uh, dependent. To China's support, mm-hmm. uh, so so that's how they are coming together. You um, and lead, uh, Xi Jinping is really taking the lead. But however, yes, think about this: if you know Russia is in the civil war, and this uh, entire this entire continental power, you know, it's facing the kind of like a uh, threat. You know, Russia all of a sudden become a lot weaker. So who is the who is going to be responsible? I mean, it's going to be huge negative impact to China and Xi's uh, leadership inside the CCP Chinese Communist Party, and also the Chinese Communist Party uh, is going to uh, get like a negative impact to their leadership to. to to China. Mm-hmm. Nansu joins us. There's been a lot of talk here in the United States. People are posting uh, their thoughts on social media a lot that they believe that China and the United States could possibly go to war by 2025. I'm curious, do you think that will happen, especially if China is backing Russia? Uh, oh, yeah, of course. You know, while China, uh, Russia is pushing uh, expanding, you know, pushing towards the west. So China it's pushing towards to the east and south. They're having each other's back. Now uh, we we are far away from a- Asia, and you know we don't uh, we, we don't feel how people living there feel. Like just just let's switch uh, uh, the position. Let's take a look at the, what the allies of the United States in the region. I mean, they're at the doorstep of China. Look look. 
what they are doing, you know, in, in order to understand how they are feeling. Uh, Taiwan, Taiwan's defense budget increased from last year to this year. One year jump, 13.9%. That's like a close to 14% jump mm-hmm. a single year. Now, if you think single year jump of defense budgets a lot, now look at Japan. Japan, last year to this year, single year jump defense budget. 26.3%. And then that's the that's the very first jump of continuously five year jump. Uh now uh now when the legislation was passed uh, December of last year a lot of people say well in the next uh five years that the total increase of the defense budget is going to be 100%. But you know I just read another report uh, from Brookings, they say, well, it may, may not be 100%. It may be like somewhere between 65 to 100. You know, there are some flexibilities there. But still, you know, five years of uh, increase to 65 to 100% of uh, defense budget. That's a it's big a lot. jump. Yeah, it, that, that is a big jump. Nansu, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much for joining us. Can you tell everybody where they can learn more about you if they're so interested? Yeah, yeah. Just go go to the Epoch Times and type the host reword together. The Epoch Times, E P O C H, E P O C H, the Epoch Times dot com. Uh, that they're going to see all our publications. All right. Well, thank you, Nan, for joining us. We appreciate it. You're listening to Kendall and Casey on ninety three W I B C. It's Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. My name is Casey Daniels. You can find me on Twitter, Casey Daniels 317. We're also on YouTube right now. Just type in Kendall and Casey into the YouTube search bar. Rob is out today enjoying uh, his growing family. And Jim Roberts joins me in the studio. So more Democrats than Republicans indicated they would consider a third party presidential candidate if Biden or Trump are the two 24 major party nominees. This is according to a new poll. So Democrats in the recent, this is an NBC poll, they said they were more likely than Republicans to signal that they were open to it. 45% of Democrats say they would consider another candidate. 37% of Republicans say they would be open to it. So what does that tell you? Nearly half of all Democrats right now are saying, yeah, we'd be open to another candidate, even third party. And you know what? That's a big deal and probably a bigger deal than most people think because while third party candidates you know never really have a shot to win the whole thing especially in a nationwide election like for president Mm -hmm. they can certainly play the role of disruptor going all the way back to 1992 and ross perot who Mm -hmm. you know dropped out of the campaign and then came back in but in 1992 perot still took 19 percent of the popular vote and bill clinton only had like 43 percent of the vote you know, it's likely if Perot's not there, the senior Bush wins re-election. And then, of mm-hmm. course, and famously in 2000, Ralph Nader got about 3% of the vote. But in that close election, that was the majority of it were people that would have voted for Al Gore and tipped the scales toward George W. Bush. So so while, while a lot of people, I think, look at this from the perspective of, oh, well, it's a third-party candidate. They've got no shot at winning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. But they have a very good, and in this case, maybe an easy chance to create 
create a major disruption in the 2024 election. Well, okay, so there's this uh, bipartisan group, it's called No Labels, and they've been organizing an effort to put forward this third-party unity ticket made up of Democrat and Republicans if the two parties nominate somebody that these uh, these people consider unreasonably divisive candidates. And I think that you could say that to many people, clearly Joe Biden, and in and, and some, some communities, uh, people would say that Donald Trump is unreasonably divisive. And even Paul Ryan, I mean, well, he's just as big a goober as any, <laughs> but he came out and he said, I'm for anybody not named Trump right now. A Republican not named Trump, because I think we beat Biden for sure if we nominate a Republican not named Trump. And that's where Ron DeSantis should come in with his not named Trump. Yeah, but I, I think the, the the data, the polling you just talked about seems that the, the willingness to go to the third party is certainly higher on the Democrat side than the Republican side. I mean, Chris Christie saying, you know, he's not going to support Trump and all that sort of stuff. It's unlikely for him to run as a third party. Mm-hmm. I think Biden is much more susceptible to a potential third party challenger. I think of RFK Jr., you know, when he doesn't win the nomination, which is probably what's going to happen, he's still polling at 20 points. He's got a big decision to make because that could be the real disruptor and Democrats are more open to voting third party than Republicans are this time around. Okay, so we've got uh, RFK Jr. comes to mind. And then, you know, who else comes to mind is uh, that uh, Joe Manchin, uh, because... He's been sniffing around it and, and dropping hints and all that sort of stuff as well. And he would be another major disruptor for Democrats. Yeah, big party party flip-flopper, right? So if, if that's what they're going to do, hey, just be an independent and run that way because 45% of Democrats are saying, yeah, they'd be open to it. I think it. it shows there's just an incredible amount of dissatisfaction out there on both sides, and it's leaving that door open. And who knows? I mean, we remember when Michael Bloomberg ran for, for president and that sort of stuff, and there's been other third-party candidates. All it would take is just a, a, you know, a little push to have some uber-rich businessman mm-hmm. to feed his ego and jump in there as a third-party candidate and potentially cause a lot of problems for the Democrats and Republicans. Well, you said dissatisfaction. Uh, Yeah, 74% of people in the country say it's headed in the wrong direction. It's been that way for a year. That's an enormous amount of satisfaction. You heard me railing on it this morning on our way in. (laughs) (laughs) It is. We talked about it driving in this morning. My dissatisfaction. Um, So the Anheuser-Busch CEO, his name is Brandon Whitworth, and He seems like he's got no regrets at all about the decisions that absolutely destroyed Bud Light. And, uh, you know, they've released some new campaigns. They're trying to kind of make up some ground, a lot of ground that they lost. But uh, he's suggesting that he would do it again. And he is asked directly if the Dylan Mulvaney marketing stunt was a mistake. And you know what his answer was? Nope. You know, we, uh, Bud Light has supported LGBTQ since 1998, so that's 25 years. And as we've said from the beginning, we'll continue to support the communities and organizations that we've supported for decades. Mm-hmm. But as we move forward, um, you know, we want to focus on what we do best, which is brewing great beer for everyone, uh, listening to our consumers, being humble and listening to them, uh, making sure that we do right by our employees, take care uh, and support our partners, and ultimately make an impact in the communities that we serve. Oh, you're making an in- impact in the communities. Just not the way he was hoping to make an impact. Yeah, I mean, if you're a grown man who enjoys dancing naked in front of children, then uh, I'm sorry. 
You should go to jail. You can't just do this under a pride flag. But in regards to this CEO, uh, everyone, please bear witness to a CEO who better get his resume together because guess what? Companies are in business to make money. They made a colossal failure on both ends because they were trying to go after a new market segment. Mm-hmm. in the Alphabet crew. And who they say they're still going to continue to support. Exactly. But in doing that, they they upset their core consumers. Mm-hmm. But now the Alphabet crew is mad at Budweiser because they're not fully supporting and doubling down on that. Yeah. So they've upset both segments of the market. So they've turned this you know one medium disaster into an absolute huge debacle across the board. Okay. So I want to talk about uh, something that uh, Joe Biden said, another uh, truly pathetic rambling from uh, from him, he says that uh, it was inappropriate for Barack Obama to spend time with Xi Jinping, but but it's okay for him to do that. You know, every time Joe Biden opens up his mouth, it just seems like he further incriminates himself and uh, no one questions him about it. We just nod and smile and play along, even though uh, we're finding more and more about the uh, pay for play with foreign countries. And, and, you know, we're just what we're just going to give him a pass, just leave him alone and let him build his nest egg. Uh, Listen to this uh, audio clip. He says he turned in his notes and, you know, this is a classified document jab at Trump. I've long said, and I mean this, I was on the Tibetan Plateau with Xi Jinping. Mm -hmm. I traveled 17,000 miles with him. I've spoken with him more than any other head of state because it started when I was vice president and President Hu was the president and he was the vice president. We knew he was going to be successful. It was inappropriate for Barack to spend that time with him, but I, I spent a lot of time with him. Oh. I met alone with him, just he and I, mm-hmm. and a simultaneous interpreter, 68 times, 68 hours, 68 times, more than 68 hours. By the way, I turned in all my notes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all your notes. Oh, except for those classified documents that were found in your possession of multiple occasions dating back decades. You know, the ones next to the Corvette. Those notes he didn't turn in. Those those, th- those notes he had in the garage. Oh, those don't count, right? Those don't count. No, those, no. Those, okay, I got it. I got it. Well, because it is Hunter Biden's special day, uh, one more audio clip of uh, Gary Shapley, who's the IRS whistleblower. He says when investigating Hunter, he wasn't allowed to ask questions about dad. Okay, so this guy, he's been making the rounds on the talk shows, and this is what he had to say when he was on Fox. So that's kind of the crux of of one of the issues here is that we weren't allowed to ask questions about dad. We weren't allowed to ask about the big guy. We weren't allowed to include uh, uh, certain names and document requests and search warrants. So, um, you know, we were precluded from following that line of questioning. Are you convinced, looking back at this now, that this was an effort to protect President Biden and his family? Uh, I mean... We were conducting an investigation of Hunter Biden, and we were trying to follow the normal process. We were trying to get to the bottom of it, and ultimately, you know, if it was going to lead to another individual, you know, we should follow that to uh, to determine what is actually happening. Um, but you know, there were definitely hindrances that I've never seen before in my 14 years concerning this investigation that didn't allow us to follow through on investigation of, uh, of, of, of any other individual to include President Biden. 
Yeah, so the words fraud and corruption keep coming to mind. It is 1142. It's Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. That is Jim Roberts filling in for Rob Kendall today. All right, before we go to break, let's talk about something that is absolutely 100%, 1,000%. I've seen the proof in your wheelhouse, Jim. Yeah, what do we got? <laughs> the Reebok Team USA jacket, which was formerly worn by Michael Jordan at the 1992 Summer Olympics in Barcelona, recently sold, what, just yesterday? Just last, yesterday. Last night, in yep. fact. It sold for $1.51 million. So this was an auction that was conducted by Sotheby's. And they predicted that it was going to go between $1 and $3 million. They called it perhaps the most important dream team item to ever surface publicly. $1.51 million. I know you're into this sort of thing. Explain yourself. Okay, so when it comes to memorabilia, and especially sports memorabilia, mm-hmm. the really big premium pieces that sell for multiple million dollars, a lot of them have great stories to them. So the great story about this is Michael Jordan famously has been with Nike mm-hmm. since he uh, came into the NBA. They just put out the movie, Air, on, and you can watch it right now on Amazon Video uh, that talks about Michael Jordan joining Nike. He's always a Nike guy. He's still a Nike guy to this day. So there was a huge controversy in the 1992 Olympics, which was the dream team and the pro players. The U.S. Olympic team was sponsored by and outfitted by Reebok. Oh. And all the players uh-huh. were expected to wear their warm-up gear on the medal stand when accepting the gold medal. And Jordan had a big problem with this. And he pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. And the Olympic Committee essentially said, look, you got to do this. You're part of Team USA. This is what Team USA wears. You've got to wear this. And so the way Jordan got around it was he draped an American flag over his shoulder so it would cover the Reebok logo. Ah. And this was a big story that came out in the time. So it's that sort of story. Obviously, it's it's a highly desirable piece of sports memorabilia because it's Michael Jordan and it's the Dream Team, but it's that extra story behind it about Reebok and Nike that makes this such a desirable piece and why it sold for you know $1.5 million. Is it worth $1.5 million, another guy's jacket? Again, it's the same question that I ask Robin Hammer all the time. What are you going to do with it? You're going to frame it and hang it above your fireplace? Yeah. <laughs> Well, well, yeah, of course I would. You don't have a fireplace. No, and I don't have a million and a half dollars either. But there are people out there that do. And here's the other part about this, too. And this has come apart about in the last five to ten years specifically, mm-hmm. is that ultra high net worth individuals, people that are worth you know tens and tens of millions and billions of dollars, are starting to view sports collectibles as a separate investment class mm-hmm. like stocks and bonds. Okay. And so you're bringing in a whole bunch of money into this because of that. People that would sit here and say, okay, I'm going to have this much of my portfolio in stocks and this much in bonds, and I'll put this much in precious metals. Now they're sitting here saying, okay, I'm going to allocate 5% of this huge wealth that I have, and I'm going to invest it in some sort of collectible because I view that as an investment that's going to grow over the next 10 to 20 years that then I can sell and 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 make more money on like you would with a stock or a bond. So that's a big part of it that's playing into it too, and that's been a shift in the last five or 10 years. Okay, so the winning bidder's name wasn't immediately known. A lot of times these are anonymous auctions, and so the this person is either going to just buy and hold because they're a super fan, or they're going to buy and hold and hopefully resell it in a few years for more money. Yeah, it's likely eventually these all get sold back onto the market because even if there's somebody that says, oh, I'm a huge Michael Jordan fan, I'm going to buy this, eventually that person passes away and usually the family members look at their collection and say, oh, dad had all of this and he loved it, but 
dad's no longer here, so mm-hmm. we don't want this stuff anymore. And they put it back up for auction again. It is Kendall and Casey. It's 93 WIBC. That is Jim Roberts. And uh, coming up, Pop-Tarts, a dead octopus, and moons, and the hardest sports in the world. We got a lot. We're going to try it's and squeeze it. strong finish. I know. It's a lot. We're going to try and squeeze it all in coming up on 93 WIBC. minutes away from noon. It's Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. Jim Roberts filling in for Rob Kendall today. So Pop-Tarts have left their customers in an uproar. They have confirmed very quietly, however, that uh, not all of their flavors are going to be available anymore. They still have their traditional flavors. You know, the best one, strawberry and Why, cookies oh, and cream. You're going to start right there that <laughs> strawberry and cookies and cream are the best when clearly everyone knows raspberry mm-hmm. and brown sugar. Yeah, brown sugar is the best. Uh, the two best Pop-Tart flavors. Kevin's got my back on at least one. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Okay, well, food lovers were left devastated by the discontinuation of one flavor, peach cobbler. Who knew? Right? I had no idea that peach cobbler Pop-Tarts even existed, so. Yeah. So somebody tweeted at him and they tagged Pop-Tarts in the tweet and said, hey, I'm having a really hard time finding this peach cobbler Pop-Tart. Uh, where can I get them? And Pop-Tarts replied and said, oh, they're gone. Customer wanted to know where where can I locate these? Oh, you cannot. They are gone. They're not available anymore. So who knew that peach cobbler pop tarts would be so upsetting to such a large amount of people? Apparently, there weren't wasn't a large enough amount to keep them around. <laughs> My guess is the sales weren't all that great on peach cobbler pop tarts, and that's why pop tarts gave them the heave ho. Okay, so if you're trying to locate a peach cobbler pop tart, uh, sorry, you're going to be out of luck. But from one food item to maybe another, this is weird. Authorities they're investigating after a dead octopus was found in the bathroom in a park in Columbus, Indiana. Uh, Mark Jones, who is the Columbus Parks Department director said the octopus was found in the restroom at mill race park and the octopus was dead when it was found so this octopus they have a picture of it and besides the cigarette butt that's on the floor the octopus is hanging half out of the toilet and it's it's dragging octopus are so creepy looking but they said they're going to investigate this yeah, that's the part of that's confusing me the most on this story because I'm not quite sure what there is to investigate. It's somebody left an octopus in the bathroom. You just throw it in the trash and you move on with your life. If I left my ham sandwich in the bathroom, is there going to be an investigation into that? <laughs> ham sandwich versus an octopus. Have you ever eaten octopus, Kevin? Yeah, I love octopus. Really? What's it taste like? It's got kind of a rubbery um, texture to mm-hmm. it, and it's not very fishy tasting at all. No, it tastes um, like it's kind of like calamari if you've okay. ever had it. What do you eat? The tentacles? Yeah, the tentacles. Ugh. Yeah, that's the best part. Ugh. Yeah, I would imagine the kind of bulbous head part would would I, would I, not be very edible or not very appealing. I've never had the head part, and I don't even know if they really serve that. Uh-huh. I mean, they probably do somewhere, but it's big in Mediterranean cuisines. Yeah. So, do you think that this is somebody who bought an octopus to use as food and decided they were done with it, or was this someone's pet? And like a fish, when they pass away, you flush them, uh, but they didn't want to flush this octopus at home because it would clog up their own home. <laughs> so they tried to flush system. it. So at they the go to the park bathroom. Right. I think it was just a prank. You think so? Yeah. But, but they put a. 
that's an elaborate prank. I mean, most pranks, you know, somebody graffitis something or, you know, vandalizes something to go out and source an octopus, which I, maybe maybe you can get an octopus at your local Kroger or Meyer or something like that. But I, I would think it would be difficult to, to go find, somewhere. You have to get a, and, go to a fish market. Go to a fish uh, market. Specialty foods. Go to a fish market, mm-hmm. get an octopus. Yeah. And then bring it to this park bathroom and throw it in the toilet. <laughs> what, what? See, and you question why they should investigate this. I want to know. I want to know who, where, why, how. I want to know all the details about I, this octopus. I think that the authorities have more <laughs> pressing needs yeah. to take Appa- care of. Apparently, uh, things are going pretty well in Columbus that they've got time to That's investigate. That's it, people. Stop everything you're doing right now. we got to get on this octopus yeah, deal. How, how long do you get locked up for dropping an octopus in a toilet? Well, is that even a crime? It? Like, what, what? There's littering other, other than it's gross uh maybe i would say they're on their way to a red wings game and they're gonna throw the octopus on the ice for a hat trick but it's not the right season for right. that nhl playoffs are over and what are they just having a little snack i'm gonna eat this octopus in, in, I'm, in, I'm done i'm gonna eat it in this park bathroom <laughs> i don't know see everything i hate everything about this story that's why it needs to be investigated we need answers Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Kevin. Good job today. And thank you for listening. We're going to count on you to be back here tomorrow. It's the Kendall and Casey Show on 93 WIBC.